0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Well, good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Bruce, it is great to see you this morning.
0: Well, it's very nice to see you too, Rachel. Thank you for uh, being so festive today. Uh, We're getting close to the holiday uh, season, and uh, I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but uh, it is getting very close.
1: Yes, it absolutely is. We're about less than two weeks away from Christmas, so time to get all those last-minute things done and also enjoy the season. I think sometimes we busy ourselves too much and just don't appreciate the amazing wonder that there really is around Christmas. So um, today we're going to be digging into Becoming Your Own Banker again. So this is Nelson Nash's book. We've been continuing this series. I would call it a, a saga or a journey, uh pilgrimage, if you will, through the book Becoming Your Own Banker. This was Nelson Nash's really signature work that he first published and publicized the the idea, sorry, my son is talking in the background here, um, that he talked about the infinite banking concept and how powerful it can be. And so today we're on part 21, which means we've been talking about this for a long time. We're still not all the way through the book. And that's just because there's so much meat and rich material to be able to share with you today or through this series. So today we're talking about the cost- Of acquisition and I'm gonna just give a little bit of background for this and then Bruce I'm gonna pitch it to you and hear your thoughts as we get started on this concept but a lot of times we can hear the idea of cost of capital and we've talked about that a lot on the show where you look at not just the interest rate that you pay for capital but also the opportunity cost meaning what you could have earned had you used the money somehow else and so say for instance you have cash and you could have invested it at 8%, but instead you use it as free cash or free capital, then you're not getting that 8% on the cash that you could have gotten, and so that is a cost of using capital. We're talking about something a little bit different today, which is the cost of acquisition. And I think the simplest way to unpack this concept or lay it out is this is really what your time is worth, and what, level of time and energy you spend on certain endeavors, specifically in getting capital, really costs a lot. And Nelson is excellent at bringing these kinds of matters to the forefront and not leaving any stone unturned. In the real world of considering infinite banking and all of the other ways that you could use cash or use other types of financing, and really understanding the true cost, because time is money. And especially when you're talking about your time that could be better utilized somewhere else. So that's really what we're digging into today with this cost of acquisition. And so, Bruce, before we really dive in, I'd love to hear your just kind of big picture thoughts about this topic.
0: Yeah, uh, you don't get to talk to as many of our clients as I do. And what I find interesting is most people have an understanding of these concepts but they don't have uh, confidence of the understanding of these concepts. <clears throat> and to, to uh, give you an example, you know, many, many people say, oh, I wish I would have started this 20 years ago. Many people say it. And yet they either don't go forward or they delay going forward for a long time. And I find that was Related to what we're talking about is the, the cost of acquisition, in this case, the acquisition of becoming your own banker. Um, there's a delay there and there's opportunity costs that are lost there along the way. And um, what I'm finding, Rachel, more and more as we get more and more information out there in the social media world where everybody gets their information it's causing a lot of uh, paralysis paralysis by analysis because people don't have enough faith in what they're doing. And I think if you search out authentic truth from the actual source, which would be Nelson Nash, who we follow to a T with the Authorized Practitioners Program that I'm a part of, um, I think that should give you much more confidence to move forward. And so that's really the thing that I want to talk about, costs of acquisition to get started. Um, But there's many things in this relatively short chapter that I think people will find very interesting.
1: Yes, Bruce, I think there's just so much to the idea of delaying making decisions or having a lot of time and mental energy going into making decisions that we often don't consider. And I'm going to just bring this to a very simple um, concept that I think everyone will understand. We talked, we've joked about this before on the show, but if you drove around for 20 miles looking for the cheapest gas, then to save two cents on gas, you wasted 20 minutes of your life or I guess probably more if it's 20 miles of driving. I can't remember if I said 20 minutes or 20 miles. But you're using your time. You're using your mental energy. You could have used that better in another place. And so when we look for the cheapest thing or um, we, we, if we don't consider the time that we spend on something, then we're not really looking at the big picture. And that goes in almost any situation. One moment. Just wanna make sure we're okay. Um, That goes for anything. And Nelson really brings up this idea here where he talks about if you are, he's really talking about a, uh, a corporate finance type of setting, but this can absolutely apply to your personal life as well. So if in a corporate setting, somebody wants to go get government financing for something, not only do they have a bunch of executives that are going to have to go sit in front of the, the um, panels and boards and and talk to government, um, probably senators. They're going to have to be lobbyists. They're going to spend time to lobby to get the attention of the, the people that they're trying to get money from. And after that's obtained, then they're going to have to go secure the actual financing from the bank. And that's going to tie up more executives time. And if you think about what those executives are being paid on the hourly basis, just say it was $300 an hour for five executives. Well, now that's $1,500 per hour that they're spending in some other endeavor rather than actually doing the work. And so when you think about, well, it's possible that you could go get a loan instead of using infinite banking, where it's possible that you could go through this whole process that Nelson lays out and we're going to dive into in more detail in a minute, but it, you could go through this entire process and say, well, you know, I finally did get the capital and we were able to get the government backed financing. And then we're in a situation that we have spent a lot of time and a lot of resources to get that. And we need to value the time that is spent that could have been, Directing an organization to making better decisions. And so all of this really boils down to understanding the non tangible costs. And so the reason why I love this chapter is that Nelson shows yet again another advantage of infinite banking over getting other sources of capital and other sources of financing because he looks at what often is overlooked as a cost at all. We don't think of the cost of the time that it takes to go get financing any stretch of the imagination. We just think about the, the interest rate attached to it and we don't think about well that took us six months to obtain that financing and it took me a lot of hours and deliberations and conversations and negotiation and all of these things where if we can cut out that time delay and we can cut out the mental drain of being able to go through that process We're in an advantage position, and so Nelson really accentuates how valuable that is.
0: Yeah, and it's not only it's not only the mental drain. There are times I can give you a really good example of this in in recent history. About a a year ago, you could have obtained a thirty year mortgage for less than four percent. Less a a year ago, and I had a, a neighbor who wanted to sell their house, I'm sorry, they wanted to purchase another house, but they had to sell the other house in order to uh, finalize the purchase on the their what they called their dream home. And it was just right up the street. And so they put a contract on it. The, the person that owned the home was actually a realtor. So they put a contract on it, put down earnest money of $50,000 okay, as a guarantee but right when that happened, inflation was out of control, so the Fed started raising interest rates. And almost overnight, there people that could actually purchase their home, uh, that number dwindled because people that could purchase at 4% now suddenly were up at 5%. And there was a big pullback on the number of people. And now people are saying, well... I can't really afford that much for the home that you're asking, but they thought they could still get it. So they kept holding out for a higher price. Well, now the interest rates went from five to 6%. So their a pool of people shrunk even more. They still held out for the price and the contract on the house was actually coming due because it, I think they had a nine month, they had to finalize it at nine month. Well, at the time, H- homes were flying off the shelf because interest rates were so low they could not they could not come up with the funds so now they had to forfeit the $50,000 of escrow or excuse me earnest money and they had to lower the price of their home to sell it so that they could now obtain another home and they lost about a 100000 there. So they lost $150,000 in money because they could not move. So that was a cost of acquisition of the second home in that situation. And you never think it's going to happen to you. I hear this stuff all the time. Well, I didn't think this was going to happen. Another example uh, that actually turned out really well, and I may have mentioned on a podcast before, uh, he's not a client, but he's a good buddy of mine. Um, He has had a guardian uh, whole life insurance contract for about 15 years, and he's religiously putting $7,000 a month into it. And so he had well over a million dollars of cash value. He bought a condominium in Florida about a year ago. And if, if anybody's ever bought a piece of property and they had to go through a bank, they know that you don't even know to the last second of closing whether the loan's going to be finalized. So he went to do it and 48 hours beforehand, they told him, oh, we didn't get this done in time. So now your your lock rate isn't there. We're going to go from six and a half to 7.25%. And we need additional cash at closing. And he calls me up and he's like, what am I going to do? Now, remember, he's not a client. He's just a friend. And I knew he had this. I said, Andy, you've been talking about this whole life insurance contract that you have, and you didn't know what to do with it. So you can actually borrow against your cash value. And currently at that, at back then the rate was 5.5%. And you could not even deal with the bank. And he goes, really? How would I I do that? I go, call your agent up. He'll have you send you a piece of paper. They're going to directly deposit in your bank, probably in 48 hours. And it worked perfectly. And he was, he was ecstatic because not only did he not have to pay 7.25%, he only had to pay 55 but that's even, like Nelson says, that's not even important. But he was just, all the stress was out of his life. It was just totally out of his life. And he can move on and make more money in his business instead of dealing with this stuff. So that's another way of the cost of acquisition. Andy was able to just stop messing with the banks and just move on and keep his business going.
1: Bruce, I love that story. And yes, you've told it before, but I I love the fresh detail every time. And I love the fact that you brought it up in this case, because the reason that we want to be able to use infinite banking is not just because we save one point in interest by obtaining a loan there. You may not even save an interest amount or interest rate by using infinite banking, if you borrow against your cash value. The point is not the lower interest cost. The point is all the other costs associated with getting financing. And specifically, I mean, you could have titled this chapter, Cost of Acquisition, Time is Money. You really could have titled it that. Because then I'm gonna just kind of, you know, cut to the chase and give the spoiler at the end. But really, Nelson talks about, you can make timely decisions when you have infinite banking, because you don't have to go through the rigmarole and the hurdles and all the uh, the qualifying and the wondering if you're going to get the loan and you don't have to go through all that negotiation. What was it? 48 hours. You said he had the money in hand. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because you don't have to qualify to get the loan. You don't have to ask for it, pester somebody, be um, you know, have a, a supervisor watch over you and tell you, are you going to pay this back? Do you really qualify? Let me look into your credit. Let me, um, you know, judge whether or not you still have a job and are you going to be able to repay this loan? The advantage of having cash value accessible and usable is that you absolutely qualify to get a loan against your cash value just because you are a policyholder and that is a right of being a policyholder. And because you have that, quick guarantee, your time is freed up to do so many other things. And if we could be able to make quick decisions in any other area, it's amazing how much uh, momentum you gain from shifting your mental energy from the decisions, the small decisions that you could put on autopilot over to the real decision-making in your actual life, which is the reason why people like Steve Jobs and um I can't remember the other person that did this. I think Simon Sinek. They wore the same color shirt every single day. They were eliminating the decision-making time in the small matters so that they could attend to bigger matters. Was it Elon Musk? I don't remember who it was.
0: No, it's uh, Mark Zuckerberg.
1: That's right.
0: That's
1: right. So, Bruce, we can dig into the details of this chapter because Nelson really lays out the story exceptionally well. But I wanted to just really show the big picture of what he's talking about here.
0: Yeah, why we yeah um, yeah let's do this and and, and there's a couple of like nice little nuggets in here. But the other thing I want people, our listeners, to understand is that if you run your life like a small business, where you understand the revenue that comes out and the expense, I'm sorry, the revenue that you obtain and the expenses that go out and the the difference between those two are the profits. Um, you will then be able to understand and think more like a business person. And part of the business person is cost acquisition. Um, example, um, I, I'm very handy. Uh I've learned a lot of skills over my life through owning rental property. And I've I used to fix everything in my rental properties, and so I can do things around the house. But recently, you know, my wife and I decided we were going to replace our fence around our backyard. I could have done it easily. I have a couple nephews that love to do it and work with me and I love being around them. But I started getting some bids and I'm thinking, first of all, why am I getting all these bids? They're all about the same and it's costing me time and then I'm not going to do this because what it's going to cost me, I could actually be working on my business. And that many hours, and actually make more money than the fence is actually going to cost me. And this is the way a mind shift, as Nelson said on his fifth tenet, rethink your thinking about how your time is also important. That you can actually have somebody else do it, that they're very happy to do it, and they're very competent to do it. And then you can actually accelerate your um, growth in your net worth by utilizing that and taking it into consideration that everything you do has a cost to it. And I think that seems like everybody should understand that, but I really think you have to think about your thinking about how you're approaching that.
1: You know, Bruce, you said, said it seems like everyone should think about this, but it can be easy to know something or understand it cognitively and yet struggle to apply it in a specific area of your life. And I mean, I'm thinking about everything from, sorry, he's practicing his talking a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it can be from anything from repairing the dishwasher to shopping for clothing. I mean, there is just so many areas where you could say, isn't this the best use of my time? Or could I have better time spent in other areas? Could you save the, the dollar? Could you save the money? Perhaps is it? Is that the main thing though? Is that the main point of life? And so really it's having alignment with what your value system is and what you're producing. So if you know the value that you can produce for others and you know what you value spending your time on, maybe it's spending time with your family and teaching them uh, a skill rather than spending time away from them doing the work that you could hire out. But maybe... Maybe the value is I'm teaching my son to mow the lawn. So I actually want to mow the lawn with him because it's the relationship and the skill building for him where I could hire that out. So it's making decisions in alignment and congruence with your value system and figuring out what are we actually trying to solve here? Is this about a relationship? Is it about teaching and mentoring? Is it about saving money? Usually if the question is just saving money, it's usually going to lead us down the wrong path.
0: So So go ahead. Yeah, let's go. No, let's just go through this now. So I think the the very first one, he says, even more strange is that all businesses recognize the fact that finance of the business is necessary. (laughs) Excuse me. Now, if they would have set up, you know, a properly designed whole life insurance policy, then maybe they wouldn't have had that, but most people don't. So but they will never address the cost of the acquisition of the finance. Some time ago I spent no, this is Nelson talking. Some time ago, I spent two years of contacts with a medical department of a prominent university before they would admit that this fact was true. It was. It is very significant factor in business venture and the cost is often startling. What I found, and we have two younger junior associates in our office now, and they both have their MBAs. Very impressive. One's 25, one's 23. And yet, you know, when we talk about these things, they have their MBA, and yet they never talked about this in business school. And I think part of the reason that they don't talk about this is what I have found is many professors that are in business school teaching this are teaching theory rather than the application because they never have actually applied this in the real world. So they don't actually see they know it in theory, but they skip over it because they don't actually they haven't actually seen that where they had to take their time to acquire financing and so they don't think it's that important. oh, what's a big deal? I just go to the bank I, I saw it at my bank uh yesterday. I go to my bank to move some money around and uh because it was a, there was a wire situation you know i I can't do it online but uh I can't do a wire online so I'm in the bank and this nice uh this nice man who was had a landscaping company, he was very frustrated because he was told to go to this branch from another branch, so he, he went across town to do this, and now that branch, who he, he was told already that was going to have the paperwork ready for him to have his small business loan, said, well, we didn't know you were coming. We don't have this uh, finished, so now you're going to have to come back tomorrow. I could see the frustration in him because he probably had taken at least two or three hours out of that day that he could have been producing in his landscaping business, producing revenue. And then again, tomorrow, he was going to have to come back for probably a couple of hours, including travel time, that he was not going to be able to produce. So he's going to lose five hours of production. So that has to be counted in the cost of acquisition. So- This gets even worse that, as Nelson continues, organizations that are supported by contributions are perhaps the easiest one to uh, quantify this cost because of their objective. Free money isn't free. Donors have to be persuaded to participate. In many cases, they spend 85 cents to raise a dollar. I actually look at this when I, my wife and I contribute to charities, is how much of their acquisition cost. In other words, how much are they actually spending to raise a dollar? And as Nelson said, 85 cents to raise a dollar. The most efficient ones spend at least, they still uh, spend 15 cents to raise a dollar. And so I actually use this as a way to, because obviously some are very much more efficient. So this is another cost of acquisition uh that even charitable organizations have. And then the next one, the next paragraph, it talks about uh, in this book, Iacocca, Lee Iacocca. I actually lived through this mm-hmm. with, when uh, Chrysler actually was bankrupt, and they hired Lee Iacocca to bring them out of bankruptcy. And when he got in, he he mentioned that he thought he made a huge mistake, and he says um, he didn't realize how bad they really were, were. And then the only way he could see to make this work was to get a government-backed loan. And they said, now comes the hard part, he said in his book. How do you get a government-backed loan? Well, you have to start with the these high-pay ex- executive accountants. You have to actually uh, produce all this paperwork, and the lawyers have to make sure. And and then you have to go to Washington, D.C., which, as Nelson points out, is one of the highest rent places to, to run businesses. You have to pay huge amounts of rent. You have to court lobbyists. That means you have to take them out to dinner. You have to wine and dine them to, to get them to give you the, not the money, but the guarantee. And so months later, so it takes months to do this. Um, they announced that they have succeeded. So they they got the guarantees from the government, but now he has to go to a bank and say, we have a guarantee." From the government and now he has to go through this again which i find very interesting so the so the bank who has a guarantee from the government but they still go through their procedures to give them the loan mm-hmm. so now it takes more and more a uh, time nelson says the negotiations here made the lobby and efforts look like child's play <laughs> so he's saying it's even more difficult to convince the bankers, even though they had a guarantee from the government. I remember this vividly when they were going through this. And then at the last minute, the bankers always find a way where they say they need one more pint of blood. And I've had that experience, and I've had counsel many of my clients who this has happened to when they go get a loan. Everything's fine. You're pre-approved. Then all of a sudden, here are the things we need to make the approval. And you get them this, and they say, Oh, we missed this. We missed this. We need this again. It's very deflating. It's very, um, so not only now, you're not even at your best mindset and your emotion to continue with your your job or your business. And then you have to spend more time getting this again. It Mm -hmm. is very, it's a cost that people do not understand that takes a toll on a business. And then he says, once this was finally completed, the Chrysler delegation wanted once more to celebrate IACOCA, then brought them face to face with the fact that the banks were not going to give them the money. Mm-hmm. They were going to give them one third, and then they were going to see how did, what do you do with this nice one third? So now you have to do reports after that time period, and you have to say, look, we did a good job with this. Will you give us the second third? More time and money spent to do this. And then they had to do it for the third, the last third. They were going to get one third of the money, Nelson says, and a bank employee with a long title. Nelson, if you remember, did not like banks. And bank employee with a long title whose sole function in life was to harass them during the period of the loan. When the next third was needed, they had to go through more of the same. By the time the last third came around, the Chrysler folks had received their education in corporate finance. So Nelson was very dis- had a lot of despair in this.
1: And you can see you can see the extent that Chrysler, now big organization, big corporation facing bankruptcy, has to go through this giant process, a lot of time spent, a lot of executives time and attention tied up in that and there's a huge cost so that cost of acquisition then nelson shows is i mean it's not just consumed by the business then it's pushed down to the consumers which is going to raise the price of the cost of goods that they're selling and so it, he was talking about then who paid for all of this time and energy and resources being spent on getting and ob- obtaining this loan this corporate financing and that was then the purchasers of Chrysler cars. So, you know, I even like that way at the beginning of this chapter, he talks about a hammer costing $17, but we don't think about the time of seven people that it took to create the hammer costing $100. And this concept um, is really brought out as well in there's actually a book called the miraculous pencil i'm going to talk about Connor Boyack for just a moment Mm -hmm. and so he talks about this idea that we can buy a pencil and we think oh well this is just a cheap pencil and i don't even know how much you can buy a pencil for but probably like less than 25 cents if you really um look at a pack of pencils and how much the whole thing costs and we just think we don't even think twice about it but there is a whole there's whole industries that are required to mine the um the materials that are used to go into the lead whether it's that that's graphite now it's not really lead in a pencil but then you have whole industries in forestry that are growing the trees and cutting down the trees and using that to make the wood that surrounds the pencil and you have whole industries that make the paint to go on the pencil and whole industries that create the eraser and then the metal binding that holds it all together and you think about just that then you have the packaging materials the design of the packing materials the design of the pencil itself and all of that there's Probably millions of people employed in just manufacturing and making one pencil. And so you think about the supply chain that leads up to a finished product is a tremendous amount of time and energy and resources. And all of that goes into then the cost of acquisition, why it's so valuable for a company to then be able to mass produce something. If it took, if they had to think through that whole entire process for every single pencil, my goodness, nobody would be able to afford them.
0: Yeah, this is, that's actually a concept that Milton Friedman, the Austrian economist, actually developed, and he explains it very, very well. If you YouTube Milton Freeman pencil concept, you will be able yes. to listen to it. And it, it's very, very interesting that the normal human being does not understand what it takes to, to actually assemble something and all the people that are involved. <clears throat> and this is one of the main concerns that we have in our country right now. And one of the main concerns that China has actually lifted their one-child policy. They just came out this week and actually said they made a huge mistake because they do not have people to replace their aging labor force, and we're in the same boat right now. And there's going to be a lag um, coming up with electronic things replacing labor at even a greater rate that may help this, but there's always going to be service stuff that's going to be very difficult to replace. Um, The final thing I wanted to talk about today is also the inefficiency of the government that causes acquisition costs, which we already talked about, because banks are, you know, I I don't want to blame banks totally because they have government regulations, especially for businesses with the SBA loans that are government-backed. And so you have extreme costs there too. Just think of our own Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is going to come out today with another comment on interest rates, and they're probably going to go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is a very expensive place to go. And so, why do they need to actually fly into Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in today's world where they could just do a Zoom meeting and save a lot of time and money. Mm -hmm. And, and yet they do it because they say they need to do this to attract the top people. And I think they're, they're not even thinking about the acquisition costs when they do this.
1: Oh, of course not. I mean, there's so much that's done at a giant cost to the organization that we don't necessarily think about. And I mean, you're absolutely right, Bruce. I mean, in a real In a real world, if you're just trying to make the most efficient decisions possible, you don't have to meet all together in a luxurious location. However, if you're trying to create an an experience or an event for clients who are going to benefit from something, it might be very advantageous for them to gather together and have an immersive experience. So, I mean, when you look at the government, though, their need to gather everyone there I wonder if they might have some uh, skiing that they're doing that so, weekend as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: So one last thing I want to talk about on this so to open up people's eyes. Nelson says, all of the above antidote is the cost of acquisition of, for, of finance. The cost of finance itself was in addition to that. Question, who paid for all this activity? Answer, those who bought Chrysler cars, that's who. And this is the, po- the point that people do not understand. And there was actually a congressperson just recently said that we have to change the federal minimum wage from $15 an hour to $20 an hour because prices are too high now to live on $15 an hour. Not understanding the relationship. Of the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage caused the price inflation, yeah, uh, to go up, and and why were companies able to, um, why were companies able to do that? Well, because government actually produced more money in the system, so that they would have money either through the EIDL loans, the PPP loans, the Build Back batter a uh, build back better act that congress passed additional money flying into the system but there's always a delay in that situation the the what's what's interesting is all this government money is supposedly to separate the wealth gap but the austrians would say no what happens is it takes a long time to trickle down to actually improving the wages that's the last thing that happens the first thing that happens with inflation, you have cost increase because you have a lot of money uh, actually buying for less goods and services, and that causes increase in prices. Mm-hmm. Who does that hurt? The people now that are not making as much money and they're not going to see the benefits until that money actually comes in a form of profits, and then the profits can actually be shared and actually get more hourly wages up. They're the last to receive it. So once again, the manipulation of the, of the free market economy by the Federal Reserve and by Congress causes unintentional consequences that are really hurting people because of the cost of acquisition, um, whether it be from um, just regular loans or a lot of People will actually do the cost of acquisition for financing of inventory would be another example. So, if we can just have the market actually stabilize, or if you can keep the cost of acquisition low by actually saving first before spending in your business, then you will come out ahead in the in the long run. Not only monetarily, but the pleasure of living your life on your terms.
1: Mm. Bruce it's so interesting that you just brought up that whole connection between inflation, government supply, um the the minimum wage it's it's just so fascinating to me. I mean even if we just look at the simple nature of the system and we don't even consider the government injection of capital, if we just say, well let's raise minimum wage, that puts a lot of pressure on the business owner then to they have a much higher expense now because they're having to pay the same workers more money to do the same work that they were doing before. And so where does that cost go? It comes out in their products, which then makes products more expensive. And so it even just that piece alone without the injection of outside capital from the government, giving all these loans, causing the inflation, you just have, I mean, two things are just exacerbating this vicious cycle where people think more money is better, right? Well, no, If those, that more money, those dollars are worth less than they were before. And so it doesn't matter if we have a minimum wage of $15 or $85, if you spike the cost of goods and services by four or five times what they were before, it's not going to feel any different. And you're just going to have this continual spiral out of control where minimum wage isn't the one answer. The answer isn't fixed minimum wage. That's not the fix to all of society. I mean, I don't necessarily know if you could say what is the fix, but A, stop injecting all the capital at a cost and a loss and a um, a debt to the federal government. Stop taxing so much so that people can actually enjoy the fruit of their labor more. And if, if the price or if the amount of money supply was not inflated, then we would have more stable currency and more stable dollars. You wouldn't need to keep increasing and edging up minimum wage just to compensate for all of the other problems that are spiraling.
0: Fritz asked if we think that uh, the next economic depression, I hate to think about a depression, I hope it's just a recession, is on the rise due to the record amount of spending in central banks during the pandemic. Yes. I, and, and actually, I think there's another thing that works in here, Fritz, is it's during the pandemic, the government, once again, I think seeking votes, um, actually said to people, you can stop paying your student loans. And that's that's just recently been brought online where they have to start paying them again. And remember, they did not all they did was kept deferring the interest, so their student loans just grew by that time period—about at, at least two years, in some case, cases thirty months—and now they have to pay the the uh, student loans. So not only do you have that coming out of the GDP. That people can be spending. You have, you also have increased interest rates. So, um, if you have a credit card payment that goes from 19% to 25%, that increases your monthly payment without you even spending anymore, Mm -hmm. increasing your balance. That's money that's going now towards a interest rather than into the economy. And so, all of this is, is actually pointing towards, um, yes, a recession. And now, this once again, now then the Federal Reserve is going to come in and they're going to say, okay, we'll lower interest rates. Everybody's going to feel good about that. They're going to increase their spending again without saving. And it's going to run up prices again And because there's going to be more money injected into the system. And the Federal Reserve is going to say, "See how smart we were!" And all they're doing is blowing up the bubble again. This is the this is the classic Austrian boom and bust cycle. You know, we're going to have we're going to manipulate the interest rates low. We're going to have inject a lot of money into the system. We're going to have prosperity, and then we're going to put the brakes on because we can't keep this up forever. And then we're going to have a, a, a series of of bad quarters that whatever you want to call it recession, depression, slowdown. It doesn't make any difference. What do you call it? Because people go through depressions on a, on their personal economy every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go through recessions on their personal economy every day. Somebody loses their job. They have medical uh, uh, bills. <clears throat> they uh, have family health issues that they're, they're paying for. And that's another one, you know, uh, aging parents are also putting the stress on the system where Instead of uh, the, the the sons and daughters spending money in the economy, they're actually spending money to take care of their their aging parents. And I'm not saying they shouldn't; they mm-hmm. should take care of their aging parents. However, that cost is is also escalating. So, oh, yes, Fritz, I do believe that. You know, I don't know. I'm not a, and I don't know how the Federal Reserve is going to try to slow down by this. But I would say most of our analysts are looking at 6 to 8 months but you know frankly Fritz we've been we've been saying that for 2 years um and it's not that we were wrong i bob murphy would um, dr bob murphy in front of the podcast he would just say over those 2 years they were just blowing the bubble up more and so we they they weren't necessarily wrong with the prediction they just blew the bubble up more they just were just waiting for it to pop so uh, great question fritz
1: and all of the answer to all of this is to take control of your financial life. I and mean, Bruce, you alluded to it a second ago, and I just wanted to highlight this because it really is save first, set aside capital, build your own banking system, be in a position where you can access that capital quickly when it makes sense, so you're not then being Driven or manipulated by interest rates are high, interest rates are low, and that's what's going to make my decision whether I spend or whether I don't spend. You're not having to be then at the mercy of the banking system and um, searching for that capital and going through that cost of acquisition because you have cash in your hand, which then allows you to do exactly what Nelson Nash talks about at the end of this chapter. And he said, if you're in command of the banking function, you do not have to go through all this expensive erosion. The infinite banking concept does exactly that. You can make timely decisions. There is no cost of acquisition. You are in competition with others who must go through the erosion that has been outlined. And guess who wins? So he's talking about you have the opportunity to not have to go through all of that cost of acquisition. You can make quick decisions when it makes sense for you to make the decision, not based on the, um, not based on what you're getting paid in um, whether your minimum wage that's $20 or $15, not based on interest rates that are high or interest rates that are low and not even based on whether we're in a, um, a boom cycle or a bust cycle, not even based on whether there is a depression or a recession, because when you have capital, you're in a position where it doesn't really matter what the economy is doing, you have cash that you can rely on and that cash then can be able to be deployed really quickly to seize an opportunity that might be undervalued in the moment when everyone else doesn't have capital, you can act and take um, ownership of those kind of assets. And so you're in a much better, healthier position to be able to make quick decisions when you have capital. And the only way that you can start having capital is to first take over the banking function. You do that. One of the most specific ways you can do that is through the infinite banking concept because and I'm just um, speaking broadly for anyone who's maybe just catching up with this concept. The reason that infinite banking is taking over the banking function is because you're storing aside capital, you're not just putting it under the mattress, you're not just growing it at a you know less than 1% rate of return in a bank, you're putting it in a position where because you began this business or this entity, this growing banking system, you funded the capitalization cost, the upfront requirement to get this going. And so you are the one then who earns dividends and interest all the way into the future. You, you have that benefit of ownership, which puts you at an advantage of anyone else who does not control the banking function and is not using infinite banking. So multiple reasons to use infinite banking. You have quick access to cash. You have the ability to earn dividends and interest going forward for the rest of your life and you have a death benefit that can pay out to your heirs that will pay out to your heirs whoever you've listed as a beneficiary of the policy so that when you pass away you deposit more capital into their lives than you ever placed into the policy so if you're looking for reasons why you should get started with infinite banking now i hope that this has been really eye-opening for you to be able to make that decision and know that you're making it with confidence because it's going to put you in this leveraged, beneficial, advantaged position.
0: I, I do this all the time. Walk into a business and, t- and take the time just to look around and think about everything it takes to run that business. From hiring the employees to the legal aspect, to the accounting aspects, to the cost of of the inventory. My I drive my wife crazy when we walk into a business all the time because I'm like, oh, they have too much labor walking around here. Or man, this inventory per square foot is just they're not going to make it. And when you think of when you think like a business owner, even when you're walking around trying to decide what you're going to purchase, then that also helps you understand. The entire business cycle. And I think the more you rethink your thinking, then the cost of acquisition will actually become very clear for you. And you will understand that uh, keeping that cost of acquisition as low as possible will benefit you and your family's life.
1: Absolutely. All right. So we're going to wrap up here. Thank you for all the engagement on um, the live stream, th- mostly through YouTube and. Um, we did have a couple things that I wanted to speak to you real quick. One was um, Marketing Mike and Sophia asked if there's a link to join on Zoom. So the way that we run the podcast at this time, we have Bruce and I join on Zoom. I was actually just thinking about this other the other day. But at this time, we haven't run it where the Zoom link is accessible to the audience or to any other individuals. When we have guests on, they have the Zoom link as well. Um, we may do more webinar style Um, conversations in the future that might be still published on a live stream platform where you have the ability to join in the conversation visually and not just through chat so just know that that's on our radar Uh, but marketing Mike and Sophia thank you for asking about that and then um, test test thank you for asking if we can help you in Portugal and I know that we have shared here I just wanted to share this for anyone who's listening post the live stream Um, we don't have support Out of the country, we can work within the US and really Canada. We have some connections in Canada, but besides that, the infinite banking concept is really confined to the locality and the country that it is based in. And insurance, it's because it's an insurance product and that's not available all throughout the world. So if you have questions about that, please go ahead and email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We can give you some more information. Sometimes there is a potential to be able to work around something if you have assets in the U.S., if you're local in the U.S. during the time of underwriting. So um, I just throw that out there because sometimes that applies. Usually it doesn't, but sometimes that may be something that is available to you. And then Fritz, thank you for all of your comments. And I think we had, um, yes, just a lot of great engagement. So if you are, uh, we should have always asked this at the beginning of the show and I so often forget, but if you have questions about the infinite banking concept or about the cost of acquisition or about something that is really just holding you back from making that decision with confidence, we would love to know what your thoughts and questions are specifically because we want to be able to have more question and answer type of format on the podcast where we're answering questions that are specifically on your mind. And we always know that if there is a question on your mind, chances are there are lots of other people with the same thought. So that just helps us know how to serve you better with this content and be able to really answer your questions so you can make good decisions. And then if you have personal questions, like, how do I apply this in my own life? How do I think about the amount of Um, capital that I put into a policy or when I fund a policy or who I put it on or what type of structure for that particular policy that works best for me or how do I think about my kids and grandkids or how do I think about the capital that I've already borrowed and those loans that I have outstanding. We'd love to answer those individualized financial questions for you in a personal conversation and you can book that call with our advisors at themoneyadvantage.com you can go straight to the calendar and find a, a spot on the calendar that works for you to be able to have that conversation and really just open the dialogue about how to apply the infinite banking concept personally for you. And so those type of personal questions certainly we cannot answer in a large format like this. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today. Bruce, anything before I close us?
0: Oh, nope, we're good. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on MoneyAdvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com